So having this network to capture the experience of patients, not just whether they, they responded to the treatment, but also in terms of the side effects, is very helpful in trying to decide you know, how to optimize the strategy of using these agents, both in terms of managing the side effects and also the sequencing when, um, uh, when one agent doesn't work, what's the, best, what's the best step to take next? And so those are all questions that we were in a position that we could address using, um, using this resource. That was Dr. Scott Ernst, medical oncologist, co-founder of the Global Melanoma Research Network, GMRN, and divisional head of medical oncology at the London Regional Cancer Program. He was joined in this episode by Dr. Fabita Guadri Sridhar, founder and CEO of Pulse InfoFrame and GMRN co-founder. Join us as we deep dive into how and why this collaborative research network was created, the impact it has had on melanoma research and the patient community, and where they hope to take GMRN in the future. Welcome to Real Talk, Real World Data, the Pulse InfoFrame podcast highlighting the incredible potential of registries, natural history studies, and other real world data. I am your host, Joshua Henderson, and on this podcast, we meet with patients and patient advocates, industry, and researchers to discuss their unique perspectives on the value, the challenges, and the impact of real world data. Let's jump right in. Dr. Ernst and, and Famita, it is such a pleasure to have you on Real Talk, Real World Data. Thank you both for coming on, for sharing your insights, and for diving in deep with us around the Global Melanoma Research Network and your collaborative relationship. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Joshua, for inviting, for inviting me. So I'm I'm pretty excited to to jump right in here, but maybe for a little bit of context before we do, um, Dr. Ernst, could you share a little bit about your background? You know what what led you to oncology, and in particular your specific research focus within melanoma. Sure, I uh, know it's it's also a pleasure to uh, be involved in this program. Uh, I'm a medical oncologist, which means um, I'm an MD who subspecializes in uh, medical oncology, which is the medical treatment of cancer. And I've been involved in oncology for uh, over 30 years. And um, when I started out in, in oncology, there were very few effective treatments for all types of cancers. And one of my big motivations was really to find better ways of treating these very common um, cancers. And I realized early that the way to do that was to do, use, do a lot of clinical trials where we try new, new drugs on, on patients in various indications. And early in my career, I was involved in, in managing uh, patients with melanoma, for which there were very few um, drugs that were effective in any way. And any new drug that would come along that we'd want to try, we would try in melanoma, and almost invariably they failed. And unlike other cancers I was involved in treating, like testicular cancer and prostate cancer, um, melanoma seemed to be a very barren land for anything that was effective. And so most of my career has really been focused on improving our therapeutics 
armamentarium in treating these malignancies and uh, melanoma was a particular focus. So all, all along I've been doing, conducting research trials, but also in terms of my practice, I uh, see a variety of uh, cancer patients and uh, particularly focus on melanoma and um, uh, GU malignancies. So against this back, background backdrop of, of kind of a, a challenging area within oncology, at least from a, from a treatment perspective, maybe Famita, I'd love to have you take us back to when you first connected with Dr. Ernst and some of those early conversations around um, what has led to, to, to GMRN and, you know, what, what were the interests, what were the exciting opportunities around the value of this collaboration, um, you know, back when it was getting started? Sure. Um, thanks, Joshua. So when Scott and I first met, uh, you know, I was uh, an academic, so my training is really, I'm a clinical epidemiologist and also a methodologist doing clinical trials and focused on real world data. And what I saw was that there was so many opportunities to understand what happened to patients after clinical trials or what happens, because those questions cannot easily be answered within a trial because those are much more homogeneous patients. And training where I did um, at McMaster, I was always fascinated with different levels of evidence and how do we find out you know, level two evidence, which is really the post-trial experience of a patient. And I had the good fortune, I would say, of meeting Scott. And really, we both um, understood that there were a few things that needed to be cracked in the world. One was collaboration. Most researchers, scientists, clinicians um, really, you know, want to publish, but they're not always easily sharing information and data with one another. And part of that is just the way that we're actually ranked in the academic world. And it's based on our publications and grants. So when people were building their own databases or collecting data, A, we didn't always know where they were. They weren't being done in a uniform way. And so that was the first you know, problem that we had to consider. The second is that all of this was being done. People were you know, motivated, obviously, in melanoma, as was mentioned, because there were new opportunities and treatments. But these were all being done in different systems. So some were using, you know, Oracle or any other system, Access or Microsoft, or in the old days, it was FileMaker Pro. So in other words, there was an inconsistency in the data that were being collected, not just the standards, but what was being defined. And so, you know, working together, and this was really Scott's push and impetus, was to build a collaborative network where different institutions and people could work together to answer these questions because together there's much more that we can do. And really, I would say that that's where we initially got involved with this very ambitious plan. And I'm sure a few people thought we were a little bit crazy um, to put this forward, but really thinking about how do we build a sustainable network for collaboration where we've got um, the interest of all of the stakeholders, including patients, you know, the researchers and then supporting sponsors who really, you know, post approval of their drugs need to get their drugs funded. And you can't do that without having high quality real world data. And maybe, I don't know, Scott, if you want to add anything or maybe if I misspoke anything, feel free to modify. 
Yeah, yeah, not at all. I mean, we definitely had that common vision. Uh, in the melanoma field, we have a very good network of um, investigators and clinicians who are all trying to do better in this disease. And um, it really was a matter of uh, developing that collaboration and using that co collaboration to have a network where we're all sort of beating, we're all marching to the same drum. And what lacked was a tool that could help us to do that because we all can, we could all look at our uh, respective uh, uh, practices and the patients and the outcomes. But what we really wanted to do is be able to put the information all together um, to see whether or not these new treatments were making an impact, not just where we resided, but across the country. And so we wanted to sort of leverage leverage the, the collaborations that were already there in order to uh, generate this kind of real world experience. But we needed a tool or a platform that we could commonly use uh, in order to do that. And that's what Famita and her team were able to do was to provide that tool um, by which we could accomplish the same goals. So Dr. Ernst, as the sort of years years have gone on and, and GMRN has you know, collected more data, new treatments have come onto the market. When we were prepping for this conversation, you mentioned that this space is, is really a, a poster child for the impact of new treatments on a disease. And that because GMRN was in place and, and the platform was there, um, sort of front row seat to the the impact of those new treatments and collecting data on those. I would love to hear you sort of share more with, with our listeners about, you know, why you feel this is the, the poster child for, for that impact. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started out in developing the melanoma network, that was before these new treatments were even introduced. And so uh, at that time, we were just really looking at how badly we were doing in terms of improving outcomes in, in melanoma. And so we had the network in place. And then, and, and that was around two, um, 2012 or so. And it was only by 2015 that these new treatments were starting to be introduced to melanoma. So we already had the network and the, and the tools in place um, before the breakthroughs in melanoma came. So for example, back in, in 2012, the two-year survival of patients with advanced melanoma was um, less than 10% at two years. So 90% had died by two years. Currently with the current treatments, the, the survival has improved over tenfold, such that more than 50% of patients are alive after five years. So there's been a huge improvement in the survival by introducing these new drugs. And having the network in place, we've been able to track, as those drugs have been introduced in Canada, how that's improved the survival of patients with melanoma. And so it's, it's been very gratifying to see as a melanoma physician, but also at the network, we were, we were able to actually see that in providing real data outside of what was already being discovered through the clinical trials 
of those new agents. And Joshua, maybe I can just um, add a comment. I think, you know, one of the things um, through the network and Scott, let me know if you remember this, when we looked at the toxicity of some of the drugs that were coming on market, right? And the fact that patients who sometimes suffered very serious toxicity were not able to go on to other treatment. And using that information to help better inform others, uh, particularly on the therapeutic side about potentially considering resequencing treatment. To me, that was very exciting because you don't know what you don't know. And seeing how a treatment does um, and the impact on patients and then potentially looking at changing the sequencing of treatment, I think for me really um, was very remarkable. And I don't know, Scott, you know the examples I'm talking about, but I don't know what your view was on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly when we talk of outcomes, you know, how people, how long people live is sort of the ultimate outcome, but there are other ones that are very important. And one of them is the, the side effects of the, of the treatments. And these treat, these treatments uh, are associated with some very significant side effects and the immunotherapy group, which was really newly introduced in the melanoma population has very unique side effects. So having this network to, capture the experience of patients, not just whether they they responded to the treatment, but also in terms of the side effects, is very helpful in trying to decide, you know, how to optimize the strategy of using these agents, both in terms of managing the side effects and also the sequencing when um, uh, when one agent doesn't work, what's the best what's the best step to take next? And so those are all questions that we were in a position that we could address using um, using this resource. And Joshua, maybe one other point around this, you know, in terms of the perceived value uh, launch and over time <clears throat> is really around um, the fact that sometimes we don't know as much about a disease until we actually have all of the data. So the data that are collected in electronic health records, as an example, give you a certain lens, right? You have a lens of what those data look like. And then you have clinical notes that physicians dictate and write. And those are not always standardized center to center. And by codifying data in a way that allows you to, in a more standardized way, understand both the clinical presentation of the patient, their treatment and their outcomes is really helpful. And where I think we contributed as a group Um, to the literature and the understanding was a paper that was published in about 2013 or 14 in current oncology that spoke about the um, epidemiology of patients with metastatic melanoma. Because as, you know, Scott mentioned early on, many of these patients, when there was chemotherapy, didn't survive a long period of time. But now we have better survival and we were able to characterize patients and better understand what they look like both from a phenotypic clinical and biomarker perspective. So I'm keen to, to hear more from both of you about sort of the, the path forward and, and, and what's next given where we are for, with, with GMRN. But um, for me to, before that, I, I, I'd love to hear from you just as you think about some of the lessons learned and, and maybe some of the, you know, planned outcomes of, uh, that, that have occurred as a result of GMRN and, and maybe some unexpected but positive 
um, results from collecting this data. You know, how how has the work Pulse's work with with Dr. Ernst and other key opinion leaders um, around GMRN served as kind of a model for other registries and and studies that Pulse powers? Yeah, I think, you know, this to me is what I'll call the gold standard of how work should be done, not just because of Pulse. We actually have very little to do with it. It's really having key opinion leaders like Scott really pushing these initiatives forward. You need somebody who has a vision and can bring other people along and obviously an environment and platform that can support that. So what I have seen, which has been really remarkable, is that you have dedicated people who understand the value of collaboration and are willing to contribute information and data that we can share with the rest of the community and better inform treatment, as well as really consider areas where um, sometimes the data that we're collecting, particularly through quality of life instruments that were developed you know, 20 or 30 years ago, are no longer valid. And you don't really know that until you actually collect data, again, in the real world, because clinical trials still use those instruments. So at a high level, Joshua, what I see is that not only are we informing um, treatment decisions, or at least as a decision aid through the sharing of data. Um, and secondly, you know, learning that some of the instrumentation that we use may not be as valid today, and that when uh, decisions are being made about drugs that should be paid for versus not, we need to kind of think of retooling some of the outcomes that we're using that are to make sure that they're more current. And although there are a lot of positive things, um, this is not an easy endeavor. I think I'd be completely <laughs> misrepresenting, uh, you know, the truth here if I told you that, you know, all everything was easy and we got it going. You need a force of nature here. And that's really, you know, Scott and his um, ability to bring other people in and align. But working at a site level, engaging sites, getting legal contracts done is a very long process because you have to build trust and transparency. And you're also dealing not just with the key opinion leaders, but you're dealing with administrative offices that may or may not truly understand the value of the research that's being done because that's not their mandate. The other thing is that, you know, with COVID, there was a, a dearth of, of people. And so we had a situation where, you know, the biggest priority in healthcare was really focused on um, the acuteness of COVID and what was going on. And everything outside of that had to be laid down for a while or put to rest. And then re-engaging the population again was very, um, you know, very surprisingly, uh, I guess, easy to do or easy is maybe the wrong word, but um, nice to see that people didn't forget about the network, that they understood the value and continued to provide data. So I see this as a model because we were able to get support from multiple sponsors. We were able to provide and publish data that, you know, um, Scott and the key opinion leaders led. And then we were able to initiate through the work of the um, Canadian Melanoma Congress and the initiatives that Scott is leading through the Scientific Advisory Board to really encourage junior investigators to think about ideas because now there was data that they could access in a de-identified way and publish and share and potentially support their own career growth. So I don't know if that fully answered your question, but 
I mean, to me, that's the most encouraging that you're not just collecting data, but it's being used in so many different meaningful ways. Yeah, no, that very much did. I'd love to shift gears a little bit and and move now towards, you know, what's next for the platform. So, you know, when you look ahead, uh, what are some of the things you're most excited about as far as, you know, new opportunities for impact and growth with GMRN? Uh, Dr. Ernst, maybe start with you. Yeah, I think uh, it's on a number of level, levels, Joshua. Certainly from a front lines clinical point of view, there's just no end of questions that come up as we manage patients. And as these treatments are introduced and we learn new things about them, and as other ones come along, um, there are many, many um, questions that come up. And so I'm excited that we can address those questions, many of which cannot be answered through clinical trials and through the expense and the time it takes to do these clinical trials. So there is just no end of questions to, to, to be addressed. I think the other big thing is um, the more um, we can expand the network and the more no, the, the increased numbers of patients that we, that we are tracking, uh, gives us uh, even further uh, strength in the observations and the hi uh, research hypotheses that we address through the network. And so I'm excited to look, expand across Canada so that we're, we're melanoma patients across the country uh, can be represented in this data set, but also um, collaborating with other countries um, about uh, the management of melanoma patients in them. Um, there are certainly some differences in, in how we manage things uh, across borders, um, and, but there's many, many similarities as well. And so having a network that ex expands beyond Canada really helps us to do that on a global stage. So that, and we are now well positioned that we can indeed do that. And so those are two areas that um, I'm excited about moving forward. Fumita, what what does your vision for the future of GMRN look like? Where do you where do you hope this goes from here? So, um, uh, first of all, I completely echo what Scott is saying. My vision is really that we now start to look at different ways to utilize data. So, not only the expansion of the network, but adding other sort of co-joint diseases. Um, you know, whether they fall under the skin umbrella, et cetera, so that we're leveraging the platform in a much more um, facile way and to bring efficiency to data collection. But what I'm really interested in is the fact now that the regulators like the FDA have finally realized the importance of real world data and the fact that it can be utilized to support um, you know, early stage studies. So for example, you know, in some of the rare conditions, whether it's a uveal melanoma or Merkel cell, it's really hard to find large numbers of patients. Is there a way, the question is really, is there a way that we can use real world data that is properly standardized um, and of high quality and potentially propose that as a comparator arm so that when, when a company goes to um, submit a phase two study, that they're not being forced to do a randomized control trial. So what I see is really the opportunity for real world data to be used from a regulatory perspective, um, and then ultimately to be able to pull the data through to better support health technology assessment. 
and work more closely with the pricing reimbursement bodies globally to better inform their decision making, where sometimes they too do not have access to real world data. And in the absence of that, are forced to make decisions that um, are only based on what they have access to. Great. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you both so much for taking the time to share your perspectives and, and the story of GMRN, past, present, and future, and how this platform is the gold standard for real-world data collaboration. Thank you, Joshua. And, you know, the, the one note I will say is that without having a key opinion leader like Dr. Ernst, so committed and intimately involved in, you know, the, the ongoing support of an initiative like this, um, it would be a much harder hill to climb. And his very significant focus on quality of life of the patients that he treats and sees, as well as, you know, other patients in the community. And, um, you know, I say that with all sincerity, because technology on its own doesn't drive itself. You need somebody who's actually driving this and making it happen. So kudos to, uh, to Scott. Thanks. Thanks for me to appreciate that. And uh, it really is a collaboration using using the tools that we have to really advance the care of uh, cancer patients here in Canada and around the world.